Good evening. We are in the middle of discussing the halachas of the four on Shabbos, and we discussed in the previous year that for somebody who just has a slight ailment, not very much is permitted. But we went through a whole list of scenarios where one can help oneself in a, way, in, a, in a manner which is permitted, where one, for instance, is drinking a normal drink, a normal tea, which is a perfectly normal thing for healthy people to do, but at the same time it helps somebody with a, with a slight sore throat, etc., etc., and we discussed that at length. We then discussed very briefly somebody who has a mechash, a bit more than a mechash, what we call a mixas choyli, somebody who's slightly more unwell than just a, a plain ailment, but not incapacitated which we're going to discuss today, the halakhas of somebody who is incapacitated, somebody who is a chayli kalaguf, a nafala mishkov. But the halakhas of somebody who is unwell but not incapacitated, we said is n- very little is permitted. You can't take medication, you can't do anything via a Jew, but you can ask a non-Jew to do jarbonans for you. You can ask a non-Jew to do a malach of jarbonans. So that way you're now doing what needs to be done through two levels of a jarbonan. You're asking a non-Jew to do a malachah for you, which is a, a one drabonon, and you're asking him, allowing him to do a drabonon, so it's a shvus, the shvus, but makam chayli, shvus to shvus, in the situation of an unwell person, even if it's not an incapacitated person, is permitted. So we explained, for instance, somebody has a very bad sore throat, you can't just say it's a slight ailment, it's a bad sore throat, and it's really driving them mad. They're not incapacitated, they're perfectly functioning, but a really serious sore throat, and they need some lemon for the lemon tea. And you don't have any lemon because just this week you ran out of lemon and you didn't have time to run to Tesco, Sainsbury's or whatever the shops on Gold Green Roads are called to buy yourself a lemon. Then you can ask a non-Jew to go through a Rishus Drabonon, not Rishus Drabonon, you can ask a non-Jew to go next door in a place where there's no area and knock next door and say, do you mind lending me some lemon? And he can bring the lemon for you because all he's doing is he's transgressing one Malacha Drabonon of carrying from one Rishus to another Rishus which is only Drabonon, not going via Shusarabim. One is Shus, another Shus, which is Drabonon. And he's an Anju, which is also another Drabonon. So that is permitted. The Shus to Shus, the Mokim, Miksas Chayli, is permitted. What we want to spend time today is discussing somebody who's incapacitated. Now this is the primary type of illness that you're going to come across on a Shabbos, which is relevant for us to know. Because the moment we move into Chayli Mesukan, a unwell uh, person who is at threat to their life, which we will discuss at length, Mr. in the coming year, that you're already almost allowed to do anything because a threat to life always overrides everything in Judaism. The uh, Chai you've got to live and not die. Judaism is not given to man so that we should die by Judaism. We, our religion has a slightly different understanding of, of serving the Rebbeinu Shalom. Serving the Rebbeinu we serve the Rebbeinu as a live person, not as a dead person. Except for the three cardinal sins, which we're not going to discuss, uh, every other mitzvah is overridden by a threat to life. So therefore, that is a little bit of an easier topic to discuss because it's really quite straightforward. Somebody who's in a threat to life, everything is permitted. Uh, I remember when I was asked to take over by the, the Repadva to take over the Hatsala, which unfortunately I have to do as part of my work. So I said to him, I don't want to take the responsibility of, of knowing when it's... Uh, you're allowed to be Mechal Shabbos, you're not allowed to be Mechal Shabbos. He says to me, what's your problem? He said, I don't understand. Any Hatsala call is a suffix, threat to life, because otherwise they wouldn't call that Hatsala. So then everything is permitted. So I said to him, okay, so what do you need a rock for? <laughs> but <coughs> it, is, it is easier. What we will spend time on, and I will spend time not today, but in the next year we'll try and go through, once we've gone through the different stages of and we'll go through a whole load of different scenarios which some of them you'll be surprised are called Masukan and some of you su- you'll be surprised are not actually called Masukan so for example somebody who suffers from uh, kidney stones pain, very very painful they are the most painful, one of the most painful uh, uh, ailments you can have it really is painful but is that a threat to life or is it not a threat to life uh, we'll discuss all these different types of scenarios once we're finished we hope we should have one more share left to enable us to run through all the different, t- different cases. And in, in certain cases of illnesses, some of them will only be incapacitated, but then the same illness can have a scenario which is a masukan. And we'll hopefully we'll go through a whole list of them to see which ones are considered just incapacitated and which ones are actually quite masukan. But today, we're going to focus on something, somebody who's unwell and not threat to life. There's no threat to life whatsoever, but incapacitated. What, what's known as a choyli kolhagul. 
The question just is, what's the definition of a choyli kol haguf? How do you define a choyli kol haguf? The Mechaba tells us, a choyli kol haguf, the definition, if you want to know, am I a choyli kol haguf, am I not a choyli kol haguf? And the answer says, uh, Mechaba, are you going to bed, are you in bed, are you not in bed? Are you so ill that you have to be in bed? Or you're not ill enough to be in bed. If you're ill enough to be in bed, that means you are in bed and you're so ill you can't get out of bed, then you jolly well know that you're a choli kolhagov. So, for example, somebody who has a, a tonsillitis and he's got bad tonsillitis, he didn't pick it up. He or she didn't pick it up quick enough and she, he's got tonsillitis. It so happens tonsillitis actually could become a choli could become a choli misukin. If you don't treat it, the strep can, uh, can, can, can spread through the body and can actually be quite dangerous. But let's, just as an example, so somebody has really bad temperature, high temperature, tonsillitis, etc. If it's not treated straight away, will end up being incapacitated. They will be in bed and there's not much. If it's a man, they'll be in bed about three days before the ladies. But uh, they'll still be in bed. You'll, there'll be a time when you end up being in bed. End of story, you're, going, you're not going to be able to get your legs out of bed. You're going to be completely not going to be ill. That, according to the Mechabe, is a choyli kol haguf. Meaning, if I'm in bed, that, and then every part of me is unwell. Because if not every part of me was unwell, I'd be out of bed. That's how the Mechabe defines the choyli kol haguf. Now, that's quite a harsh definition. That's quite a half defini- harsh definition, because it's not so common that you actually reach that stage of illness. That's quite a, 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 an extreme level of illness. The remark pulls it back a little bit. And the remark says you don't need to be an unwell person who is in, in bed. You don't, need to, you don't need to be an unwell person who is in bed, but somebody who is chayli kol haguf, where the whole body feels unwell. So if somebody has a flu, for example, you don't just feel your, the flu in your throat. You feel the flu in every part of your body. Your limbs ache, your legs ache. You just feel unwell everywhere. That's considered a chayli kol haguf, according to the remark. The, according to the remark, because it's, it's, a, a, it's a slightly more lenient understanding, of course, if somebody feels ill enough to go to bed, then you only go to bed if you're feeling completely ill. So even if you're someone who actually, you, you know, you, especially the martyrs in life, they really push themselves, and they're really, they're, they're ill, and you know, the, you come home, you see your wife, or vice versa, or husband, or one of your kids, you see them really pushing themselves, you say to them, come on, you're not well, go to bed. And they say, no, 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 I just, I've got to keep going, there's so much to do, I've got to clean the kitchen, the attic, and then I've got to prepare for Pesach, and the next Pesach, and etc., etc. It's, so they push themselves, but really, where should they be? They should be there. That's a chayli kolagov. So according to the remark, that would be considered a chayli kolagov. So if you're unwell enough that if there was no one around for you to be a martyr for, or you really had nothing to do, you would go to bed, that's enough to consider yourself a chayli kolagov. Okay, so we'll pull back a little bit from the more extreme definition of the mechaber, and we're going to work with the remark, because that's who we follow, Menek Ashkenaz, and a choyli kolagov is either way you're actually feeling ill all over. If you have a bit of a sore throat, Okay, if you have a bit of a sore throat, you're full shleima, shabbos di milizik, you're full kravalove, but you're not a choyli kolagov. Pain very much depends. It's very, it's very subjective pain. So we're talking about the average person. Every person with a sore throat is not a choyli kolagov. You have a flu, the average person with the flu is a choyli kolagov because the flu is all-encompassing. It's all-encompassing. Yes, it, you might not be deathly ill, but it's all-encompassing. So even if you have the flu and you can push yourself to carry on doing what you need to do, but you're still a chodi kolagov. Within the definition of a chodi kolagov is another category which has very similar halachic connotations, but slightly different, but we're going to put it in the same category and we'll explain the difference a bit later, and that's somebody who is a chodi sakonas eva. So, sakonas eva. It's the person who's well, perfectly well, nothing wrong with them, but there's a danger to a limb. And we'll go through different dangers to a limb a bit later, because it's not as simple as it sounds, but it's going to be a danger to a limb. Any danger to a limb has the same halachic parameters as somebody who is a choli kolaguf. So this is a person who's not a choli kolaguf. This person will not have to go to bed. But there's a danger to a limb, and I'll give an example where danger to a limb is considered a danger to a limb, and you might not realize it. A burst eardrum. A burst eardrum, which is very common, especially in children who constantly get ear infections, a burst eardrum is called a sakonas eva, because chas v'shalom, that eardrum bursts, and it could affect the ability to hear. Anything which could affect the use of 
part of the body is called Sakonas Eva. So there's an example of Sakonas Eva which you might not even realize is Sakonas Eva. And it's quite common for little children to have birth eardrums, um, particularly nowadays when the doctors don't want to give antibiotics until you've had an earache for about three and a half weeks. Then, then there's, a very high, there's a high risk of a birth eardrum. And it does happen. It happens all the time. That is called Sakonas Eva. If you get to the stage of a Sakonas Eva, of a birth eardrum, you're now in the category of a Chayli Kaligov. It might be a child who doesn't have temperature. Might be a child doesn't have temperature, but has a burst eardrop, and that's a sakonas kolagov. That's a sakonas eardrop. Well, guys, they come and tell you. Don't worry. I'm just giving you the scary background first, and then we'll come and tell you what to do. Wouldn't you anyway give a child? Wouldn't you anyway give a child um, a medicine? So you're at home. You're at home, and your grandchild's there, and they've gone away for holidays, so they left you with looking after them, and chasasholim, and one of the grandchildren has a burst eardrop, and you have nothing in your house. So what do you have? You got an antibiotics. So what do you do now? Maybe if you've got pain relief, and if you don't have pain relief, we're going to discuss more. You're you're too far ahead of us. But you have no pain relief. What do you do? That's what I'm here for. Okay. So it's not so straightforward. You need to know the halachas. These are these are scenarios that will come across, or could very easily come across your path at some time in the future. So a Sakonas Eva is in the same category as a Chodi Kolagov, though there is slight difference in which we'll see later, but in general it fits into the same category as a Chodi Kolagov. Excuse me, the yes. difficult, the eyes are, the eyes have also slightly different... The eyes, the teeth. Uh, no, more than, let's say, birth, either, that it's a danger to the eyes. Some of the, uh, a tooth or an eye could be considered a danger to, the, to, to life. Right. But that's already next year. That's not this year. So I can't, I can't do everything in one shit. Uh, I'll get criticism for speaking too fast, and I mustn't do that. I've got to go very slowly. Okay? So that's also within the category of Chodikolagov. Then we have a, another category, as Mr. Moise just said, quite rightly, a child. A child, even if a child is just slightly unwell, and we'll discuss a couple of scenarios a bit later, a child fits in the category of a Chodikolagov. Pain for a child is far greater. They don't just moan about the pain more than the adults. They, they really are, do feel the pain more than the adults. So a child falls down and hurts the leg, it hurts his leg, will come screaming and shouting, pain, 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 and three minutes later it disappears. It's not just a cry for, for attention, it may be that as well, but they do feel the pain a little bit more than the adults, and therefore their pain threshold is quite, quite lower than the adults, or higher, whichever one it is, than, the, than an adult's threshold, and therefore they are considered a choyli kol even though they don't actually have the symptoms of a Chodi Kolagov. What age is called a child, we will discuss a bit later. A woman after birth, a woman postpartum after birth, is considered a Chodi Kolagov until 30 days. Now, nowadays they make you go out of bed three and a half minutes after you've given birth and they send you packing, and, and if you're in some hospital, they send you home after six hours. It doesn't matter. And you're walking around, I remember there's, there's certain people in Gateshead, my wife used to come home and say, you know, I just went to the park and she had a baby a week and a half ago, she got... 17 children in the park with her. What's going on? Doesn't matter. She is a choyli kalagov. She's considered a choyli kalagov up until 30 days. How much energy she's got, how much strength she's got is irrelevant. She's considered a choyli kalagov for 30 days. And all the halachas of a choyli kalagov will apply to her. Will apply to her. Included in the category, so we've given you a bunch of different scenarios of Chayde Kalaguf. Another scenario of Chayde Kalaguf is psychological, emotional sickness. Somebody who's emotionally unwell, psychologically, psychologically unwell, it makes a difference. If they're unwell enough that they're not able to function, even if it's just an emotional issue, that's called the Chayde Kalaguf. That's called the Chayde Kalaguf. To actually be honest with you, most psychological illnesses would probably be in the category of Chayde Mesukhan rather than Chayde Kalaguf. And I'll explain to you why. Because there's, there's another little halacha that we have to remember, and that is if somebody has an illness, which at this stage of the game is not considered a chayli kolagov. So, the onset, the beginning of tonsillitis. For example, you, you, know, you can feel when tonsillitis is coming on. You get that little stabbing uh, feeling at the back of the throat. It's different to a normal, a normal sore throat, which is just a sore throat. There's, there's something there, you feel like there's something uh, uh, cutting into your tonsils at the back of your throat. So you know, it's, but you're fine, you're absolutely fine, but you're quite experienced, you know, give yourself another 24 hours or another 36 hours, you're going to end up being in bed 
with severe tonsillitis, then you're allowed to already take the parameters and the leniencies of a choyli kol haguf, because an illness that's going to definitely develop into a choyli kol haguf is considered a choyli kol haguf now, despite the fact it hasn't actually got there. Meaning, Rosh Hashanah always used to say, you're not obligated to become ill to become a choyli kol haguf. You're allowed to prevent yourself from becoming a choyli kol haguf as long as you know that you're in a situation that would bring you to choyli kol haguf. And in most psychological disorders, most psychological um, areas of, of illness will always develop. They very rarely stay at the stage where they are. If they're not treated, they will almost, indef- almost always develop into something different. And therefore, the moment there's a psychological disorder which uh, it, it arises in, in a child or in an adult that makes a difference, you can probably consider it a chodimusukun. But if it's a type of a disorder that definitely doesn't become fit in the stage of chodimusukun, it's still a chodimusukun. It's still a chodimusukun. Okay. The final stage, sorry, the final stage of Chodikalagov. So we've learned quite a number of cases. We've had a Chodikalagov, somebody who literally is a Chodikalagov, the Mechaba, or the Ramah, somebody who's not such a Chodikalagov, but does feel ill all over, or to the stage where if they could get to bed, they would go to bed, even if they're not in bed at the moment. We've had a Chodikalagov being a Sakonas Eva, so all in the same category. If there's Sakonas Eva, it's a Chodikalagov. There's a danger to a limb, it's a Chodikalagov. We've had a child who's always considered a Chodikalagov, and we'll discuss the, what a child is a bit later. We've had a, a postpartum woman up until 30 days is considered a Chodikalagov, right? And then we've had somebody who is not yet in the situation of a Chodikalagov, but will inevitably, if left untreated, reach the stage of Chodikalagov. That's also in the category of Chodikalagov. We're going to do one more stage, one more stage, and that is somebody who has, uh, we did another one, sorry, we did the psychological disorders is also considered a chodikologov, and the last one is a sophic chodikologov. You go to a doctor, and you, 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 you say to the doctor, I've got a sore throat, is it tonsillitis? And I'm really not feeling good, is it tonsillitis? And he looks down the throat, and he says, mm, not sure, not sure, it's got a few spots there, but I'm not quite sure, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. So if you get to the stage where you're not sure if this illness is a chodikologov, then you can treat it as a chodikologov. You're allowed to treat it as if it's a Chodi because we have no interest in you becoming a Chodi So if you're soft with then we give you the status of, of Chodi If, however, you, you don't know because you haven't bothered asking, or you're not sure if this is a category of Chodi you're just ignorance, then Jolly will get up and go and ask a Rav, or go and ask a doctor, is this Chodi Kalagov, is this not Chodi But if you've asked, and the answer is, we don't know what this category what this illness is, which category it fits into, then a Suffolk Chodikologov is also Chodikologov. So you have quite a, quite, quite a broad range of situations that will fit into the, um, under this umbrella of a Chodikologov. And that's why when I said to you at the beginning of the year, this is probably the most likely category that you're going to meet on a regular basis. Uh, you rarely meet Chodikologov, unless you're a Chodikologov member, you rarely meet it, but you will meet this quite often, because unfortunately illness is part of life. And therefore, and it will <coughs> often happen on Shabbos, when you're relaxing on a Shabbos, that's when the, the resistance is a bit lower, and, and, and the stress of the week is, is, it eventually catches up with you, and you end up picking up uh, all the viruses, etc., that are going around. You go to shul, you shake everybody's hand, and, and uh, you, there's cross-contamination from germs all over the place. You come around on Friday night, you shake uh, 200 people's hands, you, you, you're risking it, right? So th- there's, there's, there's a, a high chance of Shabbos being the time when you're going to meet Chodi Kolagov. And therefore, we need to really get the parameters of this clearly. So it depends, again, it, every scenario is different. Because uh, for an elderly person to get flu is, is dangerous. It's life-threatening. So I will go through, I will bleed in, in the last year before Pesach, which is probably not very long, in a very long way. Um, I will, sorry for, for making me scared. I will, I will, I'm sorry. I will, but I have to be real, you know what I mean? I will go through all these types of scenarios that, that almost every illness that a person will come across can either be in the category of Mechish Valma or Mixus Chodi, can be in the category of Chodi Kolaguf, and can probably also be in the category of Chodi Mosokin, depending on the situation. Depending on the situation. Uh, a toothache can be nothing. A toothache can be a Chodi can be a life threatening. I know people who've had uh, severe heart issues because of toothaches. So, so it, it, it's, you can't. There's no blanket rule for, 
for what's called a you do need to use a little bit of your own understanding and imagination when it comes to trying to understand and work out what's going on here don't forget Shabbos if you ever have a Suffolk whether this is life-threatening or not treat it as life-threatening that's the the basic premise that you have to accept Suffolk is like a Vada always treat it as life-threatening if you're 100% sure it's not life-threatening then so when it comes to Atzala the first thing we say to Atzala member is you get a call Shabbos is out the window of course, we try and prepare ourselves to minimize Chilol Shabbos when you're on Shabbos. We tell them make sure that your radio is off in the cars and make sure that the etc. Et you know everything is ready. So you, you minimize the amount of Chilol Shabbos needed. But once you're going for a call, you don't start questioning: Is it maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's the other? Whatever that you go. When you get there, you you will then assess. You'll try out the situation. You'll assess and you'll say, oh well, this is not a Chayli Sukkim. And you'll downgrade. And you listen to them. If you ever watch the Hatsala members, you'll see they'll come rushing to the scene, and within 10 seconds, they'll turn around and say, downgrade to Chayli Kalago. And then everything's gone differently. The whole process of how they treat the, the, the patient is completely different. If it's still Chayli Masukim, we will discuss. There's different levels of Chayli Masukim, then again, the way you treat is completely different. Completely different. But we're discussing Chayli Kalago, and we're not Hatsala members, so we just want to discuss basics that we might come across. In, in, in everyday life. The, the, what's very interesting is that when it comes to a child, the way that Allah describes for us how that a child is considered a is actually talking to a child that doesn't have any food, who's hungry. A child who's hungry and there's no food in the house is considered a chayli kol and therefore, just like one's allowed to treat a chayli kol you're allowed to treat a child who's hungry. And I'll explain to you in a moment what you do. Sorry? We're going to discuss in a moment. So what age? What age are we talking about for a child? That's a big machlekes. There's a big machlekes. Three big machlekes in halacha. What age is called a child that needs that's considered a chayli kol Any child up until two or three, everybody agrees is a chayli kol any child up until three is a very good look according to all of you. Chaznish put the ceiling at three, but that's a given. The advice when he gave the age limit of nine, he said nine is considered the pain threshold of a child is low up until nine, and after nine it, they're already moving towards adulthood. But there are other posthumous say the shulchanah says a coffin. The shulchanah doesn't give me any parameters for a child. We know a child in Judaism is always a child up until the age of 13. So if a shulchanah says a child, then a child. Anybody under 13 is considered a child. So what do we do in this situation? Of course, one always tries, if necessary, one tries to stick to the more strict view. Three. If one has a child between the age of three and nine who's unwell, may not be seriously unwell, and the situation demands you find a stress to look after them, then fine. The device is perfectly uh, reliable for us to rely on and we can rely on up until age of 9 to go all the way to 13 is pushing it a little bit but you know what if one's really really desperate there's room to be lenient up until 13 but 9 is probably the, the, the good compromise in, in, all, in all the shitters and one can probably make a little bit up until 9 so I'll give an example of, of a a situation where for a child can be highly <coughs> colourful and for an adult it would only be not even a, not even a, a mixer spray, just a mechus valma, a wasp sting. Okay, I was going to say bee sting, but bee sting again, again depends on the situation. I don't have to spend ten minutes discussing bee stings. But let's talk about wasp sting, where there's very little allergic reaction to wasp stings. There are to bee stings, but much less to wasp stings. So a child gets stung by <coughs> a wasp. That child is considered a highly colorful. The pain level of a wasp is not very nice. It's very uncomfortable for an adult. Uncomfortable, you'll shout for a second. Well, I've just been stung by a wasp. If you see the sting there, you put it out, it doesn't definitely cause bleeding, but there's not much more you can do. You can't go and get yourself some creams to put on, you can't go and spray with an anti wasp spray. Uh, there's very little pepper for you to do anything if you get wasp, uh, a wasp sting on a Shabbos. But for a child, a child that gets a wasp sting, that's already in the category of Khadikalagov. And whatever the parameters of Khadikalagov are, you'll be able to do to that child as well. So that's just an example of what would be considered a Khadikalagov. Same would apply to, to a woman in, in, in the first 30 days. She is considered a Khadikalagov, and therefore whatever ailment she has, you're allowed to treat as a Khadikalagov, even if there are only small ailments. 
So let's run through the parameters of what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. Then we'll go back and give you some examples, practical examples. Now, the first halacha of the Chaydi Kalaguf is that one is allowed to ask a non-Jew to do any malacha for you, even a malacha deraiser. You can ask a non-Jew to do a malacha deraiser, so you're a person with flu, you're lying in bed with flu and you're desperate for some panadols or some, uh, some beachums and you just haven't got any in the house, you're allowed to ask your next door neighbor, a non-Jew, to go and buy you, go and buy you some beachums. You can't give him the money, but he can lay, lay out, he can go and buy, bring you back the beachums, and, or he can come into your house, take your credit card, probably illegal, and go to the chemist, buy you a pack of the beachums, and bring it home. A non-Jew is allowed to do even malachas de races. Even malachas de races. Even malachas de races. Think of any type of scenario that would help a person who's a chedik a non-Jew can do that. Non-Jew can do that. So if you're talking about a child who needs food, you'd have to ask the non-Jew to go to the shop and get you food for the child. Because the child is considered a chedik No problem at all. No problem at all. Turning on the heating is a, another category of chayli kolaguf. We are all considered chayli kolaguf when it comes to cold. So nobody can sit in the cold. Our bodies can't take cold. So therefore, if you're in a, in a house which is cold and the heating's not on, then the answer is another category, which I didn't spell out, but that's another category of chayli kolaguf. And you can ask an Andre to come and switch heating on. Directly. And you can ask an Andre directly. Go and buy my son food. He's hungry and I've got nothing in the house. Go and buy him food. I'm, I have the flu. I need Beecham's. Go and buy me beaches. Go over the road, cross Golden Green Road, which is the Shusra Abdurais, according to many views, and borrow from me some, some lemon sip so I, can, uh, so I can ease my symptoms. Go and get me some Panadols, and, and you know what? Not just Panadols, get Panadols and, and Europe and Cocodamol, and let me take the whole lot so I shall feel better. All permitted on Shabbos. All permitted, because you're allowed to ask a non Jew to do anything for you on Shabbos if you're a Chodi Kalagos. And that's the first thing. That's, that's the simplest and that's the first thing. What you need to understand as well is somebody who's in hospital is always considered a chodik Because the very fact that you're in hospital means that you're unwell. Uh, particularly nowadays with NHS who are trying to throw you out before you, you know, before they've even treated you. If, you. if they've actually kept you in hospital, then you are minimum a chodik It's very rare for them to keep you in hospital and you're not considered a chodik You're probably more than a chodik You're probably actually in the category of a chodik But you're definitely a chodik And therefore you can ask a non-Jew, which is one of the nurses, to do whatever you need. Cook me food. Put my bed up. My bed down. Lights off. Lights on. You can make them a sugar. You know. You can. You can really drive them crackers. Uh, whatever, whatever. Whatever it takes. Open the bathroom door. Close the bathroom door. Switch a light on for me in the bathroom. Whatever you need, you can ask a nurse to do if a person's in hospital because you're considered a chayyik kolagov. At minimum, you're considered a chayyik kolagov. That's stage one. Stage one is you can ask a non-Jew to do whatever it takes. Stage two. Stage two is now. What can a Jew do for Chayli Kalagov? That is a huge discussion in Halakha. And we're going to go through all the different views, the different opinions, and then I'll tell you which one we ideally keep to, and which one we keep to if we're in a, a state of necessity. So the first view is that it's permitted for a Jew to transgress any Isidra Bonon. This is the most lenient. A Jew can transgress any Isidra Bonon. That means you can ask a Jew to carry through a Carmelist, through a, Shusra, uh, through a Shusra Bonon. You can ask a Jew to, if we assume electricity is considered only a Drabonon, you can ask a Jew to switch on a fan for you. According to this view, any Isha Drabonon, even without a Shinin, for a Chayla who is a Chayli Kalaguf. And the same would apply to somebody who is Sakonas Eva. Any Drabonon is permitted. That's the view one. We don't pass on that. But that's the first, first opinion brought down in Shokhanar. Second opinion is, that if it's a sakonas eva, a risk to limb, then we allow a Jew to do any isidra bonon. But when it comes to somebody who's a chayli kalaguf, we don't allow him to do any isidra bonon at all, not even with a shinnik. So there we see a little bit of a disparity between sakonas eva and chayli kalaguf, where we said really they fit in the same category, but there is a slight difference. And here we're beginning to see a little bit of the cracks between, the cracks of differences between the two. Third view, for a sakana favor, for a risk of limb, it's permitted for a person to transgress an isidra bonon without a shinui, but for a chayli masukun, it's only permitted for a Jew to transgress an isidra bonon with a shinui, with a shinui, with a shinui, okay? That's the third view. Fourth view is that there's a, it depends on what type of malacha we're talking about. Any malacha which 
is a type of malacha that is within the category of malachas de rices. Even though in this situation it is rabbonon, then it's forbidden even for chaydekalaguf or for a sekhanas Completely forbidden. But if there's no, it's not a, it's a malacha which is a complete rabbonon. That means it has no basis in the, in the Torah. It's a complete rabbonon. Then it's completely permitted both for chaydekalaguf and for sekhanas So let's put you out of your misery. What do we do, the halacha? We paskin like the third view in the shulchanah. The third thing in the is that for Sakonas Eva, Jews are allowed to do a Malachad Rabbonon, but for Chayli Kalaguf, you can only do a Malachad Rabbonon with a Shinnah. Now, before we actually discuss this, I just want to make one Agdoma, one introduction. If one can ask a non-Jew to do the Malachad for you, always ask a non-Jew. Always ask a non-Jew. So if a person is in hospital, and, there's a, and, and uh, you like the Fanon, which is maybe a Malachad Rabbonon, so you might turn around and say, you know what, I'll do it with my elbow, because it's a shinu, a drabonon, and you may be right, but you know what, ask a nurse, let the nurse do it, much easier. Asking a non-Jew is always better than a Jew doing any malach, always, except in certain situations of a chayli kalaguf, uh, sorry, except in certain situations of a chayli musukin. But if you're in a situation of a chayli kalaguf and there's an opportunity to ask a non-Jew, ask a non-Jew, ask a non-Jew. If there's no non-Jew there, and it's necessary for, you for this malacha to be done, then if it's a malacha drabonon, it can be done via a Jew, but with a shinu. Be done by a Jew with a shinu. Be done by a Jew with a shinu. If it's a sakonas eva, then a Jew can do the melacha and melacha drabonon even without the shinu. Even without the shinu. In times of need, where it's difficult to do the melacha drabonon without the shinu, Mishnah Bura quotes a high adam who allows you with the eva. It's necessary to do a melacha drabonon even without the shinu. Mm-hmm. So ideally, let's get that clear. Ideally, when you are Dealing with a chayni kolaguf, you should always do a melacha drabonon. A melacha deraisa, out. A melacha drabonon is okay, ideally with a shinui. If you can't do it with a shinui, then you can do it with the average without the shinui. So when it comes to atzolah, just for an example, this is a huge, huge difference when it comes to atzolah. They'll come to a scene, blue light in, ambulances all come on, all hands on deck, and they get there and they see that it's only a chayni mesukin. A chayni shayni mesukin. Chayni kolaguf. Okay, we'll discuss some of this now a little bit later. Only chayni kolaguf. So they mean to say downgrade Chodik Kalagov. means we can't do any Malach with the rest. But we need to take, because part of standard procedures, you need to take all the, all the observations, right? So you need to, they call it all the opposites, so it's a very posh word, opposite, but it just means observations. So they need to take the blood pressure, and they need to take the pulse, and they need to do to, um, temperature, that's it. And all these things today are all electronic. Everything's electronic. There's not just thing as putting a thermometer in your mouth doesn't exist anymore. It's all electronic. Just poke it in your ear, press a button, and the temperature's done. Everything's electronic. So now here we have a chayli, who's not a chayli kalaguf. Uh, sorry, he's not a chayli masukan. He's not danger to life. So there's no heter for you to transgress a malachad But you can transgress a malachad with a shinu. With a shinu. So they've got to now learn, which is what we've trained them to do, how to, in this situation, take all the observations using a shinu. If there's a chance that there's a sakonus nephrosity, there's a chance that maybe there's a heart failure or anything more serious or internal bleeding or whatever it may be, then they'll go straight and they'll just do all the observations as normal because every second counts. At the moment they're 100% sure that this is only a chayli kolaguf, but not a chayli masukan, then they're, they're, they've been taught how to take a temperature, how to uh, even take your glucose, whatever it is, to take all those with a shinu. We've been through the whole pack, it came, brought in the whole pack into a shear once. We went through every single item in the pack, how to do this normal situation and how to run it on Shabbos with a shinning. Extremely important because very often when they get to a, to a scene, it will be downgraded to no more. Uh, unfortunately, people don't know when they should and when they shouldn't. And they're quite right. Part of the reason why we give Shuraman this regularly is, is to train people to know when to call that solid. Because if you call that solid when you, you shouldn't be calling that solid, then you've caused people if you don't call them early enough when you're supposed to call them then you're considered a murderer so you really are and this is something that every single member of, of, of Jewish society needs to be clear it's not good enough to say I'll go and ask my rob because first of all your rob is impossible to get hold of and second of all even if he is possible to get hold of on a Shabbos you're stuck so you haven't got, you're not able to pick up the phone and, and say please what should I do you've got to know the answer yourself so it's incumbent upon every Jew to know these halachas as clearly as possible. You don't need to know all the intricate details, but you need to understand a little bit. That's why we'll go through some of the practical situations, so you should really know when is it maybe sakonos nefoshis, when is it not maybe, when it definitely isn't sakonos nefoshis. To call 
Hatola, because a child grazed their leg, is definitely causing Chilul Shabbos Deraisa for no reason whatsoever. No reason whatsoever. To call them for breaking an arm, now, what is that? What's a, a, a breaking an arm? Or a the child was riding the back in the garden, fell down, and breaking an arm. An arm break could be just a Sakonos Eva, but in certain situations it could be Pikuach Nefesh, depending on the situation. Are we trained as laymen, as lay people, to be able to differentiate between a broken arm which is a Sakonos of Hoshes, or a broken arm which is not a Sakonos of Hoshes, the answer is no. And therefore we would suggest that if somebody is in a situation of Shabbos with a broken arm, call that off. But it might not actually be a Sakonos of Hoshes. That's something for them to decide when they come. If a child comes in with a graze, that's not Sakonos of Hoshes at all. That's not Sakonos of Hoshes at all. So let me run through some, some scenarios of... Okay, so, uh, one more, we have one more halakha to do, and then we'll go through some scenarios. The, the, the third area, which is, so we've said so far, a non-Jew can do any halakha for a chayli kolago. A Jew can do a drabonon with a shinoi, or if it's a chayli sakana seva, a drabonon even without a shinoi. In a situation of need, will allow the Jew to even do a malacha drabonon without a shinoi. Third halakha. Medication is forbidden for a normal healthy person to take. And that's what we've discussed till now. Normal medication is also. Medication for Khadi Kalagov is permitted. <coughs> so a person can take medication, throw down the panadols, no problem at all. Even though medication for Khadi is also, because we're worried you might come to crush the medication and prepare it, which is a Malacha director. The Chazar weighs that worry when it comes to Khadi Kalagov. You don't have to be Khadi Masukin. Khadi Kalagov says somebody has the flu, they can take Lemstip, they can take. Um, um, what's the other stuff? Beachums and Panadols, whatever it is, no problem at all. When it comes to administering other types of medications, <coughs> not oral medication, then now we have a problem. To take medication on Shabbos is a Malacha Durabono. A Malacha Durabono, we said, ideally, you should only actually, a Jew should only a transgress a Malacha Durabono if it's done with a Shinri. Therefore, when it comes to administering other medications, we suggest always do it with a shinu. So, taking medication orally, we take it normally. That's the Minigin Kalisrol. The one or two are the Dan, uh, uh, Feinstein held you should orally take your medication with a shinu. I mean, you should put your Panadol on your arm like this, and, and, or put it on a spoon and take it on a spoon. Do it in a slightly different way. We don't do that. When it comes to oral medication, we take oral medication normally. Mr. Burr says you can take it normally, we take it normally. When it comes to administering other types of other types of medicines, like creams, which in itself has two areas of concern. First is you should do it with a shinin. So, okay, so you'll drop the cream from a slightly higher, more elevated point, uh, or you won't put it all over, you put it just in two or three places. Fine, that's easy. You can put creams on if the situation is a choli, you can put creams on the shampoos as well. So a baby with a nappy rash, no problem. And baby, definitely under three. Right, the nappy rash is around about, uh, definitely under three, because if you're three with a nappy rash, you need, you need a bit more than creams. So, nappy rash will be considered a kolagov, even though it's not really dangerous, it's not really, but it's uncomfortable for the child, chayli kolagov. So you can put cream on. To put cream on in the normal way, maybe not. Do it with a shinny if you can. But here we have another problem. To rub cream in on Shabbos, it could be a malacha derisa. Could be a malacha derisa. So in order to be able to do it, if necessary, if you can get a non-Jew to do it, get a non-Jew to do it. If you can't, then you have to rub the cream in with a shinui. If it's really necessary, then you have to rub it with a shinui. Most of rubbing our creams in is probably not a malacha derisa. So if you can do it with a shinui, you're okay. How do you do it with a shinui? Take the back of a spoon or something like that. So it's not considered If you rub the gel, has the same skin as cream. Why not? Gel which is straight away absorbed from the skin. No, so that's fine. There's no more maria. You've got to rub it into it. You've got to smooth it. If you don't smooth it, it just, just gets absorbed and you're fine. The moment you're smoothing it, you've got a problem with maria. Eye drops is just considered a normal medication. So drop it a little bit higher if you can. If you can't, it doesn't matter. None of this is... Because the, 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 you're allowed to do a drabonon if necessary, without any change, without any shinu. So if you can't administer the medication without the shinu, then do it, with, do it without the shinu. Because I would much rather that you actually took the medication than you didn't take it because you couldn't do it with the shinu. So eye drops for sure take. I, I, I will, will discuss the next year could actually be more serious than a normal chodikologo. The eye could be considered uh, an, internal, um, an internal illness. 
Let me run through some of the scenarios that you might come across on the Shabbos to be considered a Chayri Kolagov. Um, so a fractured, a fractured finger, leg, hand, technically, technically if you're working by the book, a fracture is considered a Sakonas Eva, no more. So you wouldn't be allowed to call that solo, you'd have to call a taxi and ask the non-Jewish taxi driver to take you into hospital. That would be, but, there are definitely scenarios in breakages. You could injure a thigh bone, which could cause internal bleeding, <coughs> uh, and a broken arm, which is close to the elbow, could cause circulation problems. There, there's so many situations, an open fracture, uh, or, or could be considered chayli and There's so many scenarios in fractures that are really could be considered dangerous, but we're not equipped and trained to be able to differentiate between this type of fracture and that type of fracture. So the immediate reaction would be, call that solo. I was once called out by a fellow, and this is a type of situation that we're, we're trying to, to get around. Somebody came knocking my door one late Friday night, and their daughter just walked through a glass door. So I said, well, why did you knock on my door? Why didn't you call that solo? I didn't know if I should call that solo. So I said, please pick up the phone and call that solo. I can't tell you if you walk through the glass door, I don't know what she's got. She, uh, she's bleeding, she's bleeding everywhere. So I said, well, try to call that solo. So we called that solo, and they came, and they cleaned her up, and there was nothing serious. It was all superficial. Fantastic. So they went home, and he went to bed. But it's a second. You've got to, if there's any level of risk, you've got to call that solo. You mustn't allow. So a breakage is definitely considered a level of risk that you are not, you and I are not trained to be able to decide that this is called Sakona or not. Um, a severed finger, for example. A severed finger is not life-threatening. A severed finger is not life-threatening. This is something that we, we deal with regularly. Somebody loses a finger, a little child gets a finger caught in the door. This is a quite a regular, uh, not regular, every week, but quite a, a, a common, in inverted commas, call-out for our solo. A severed finger is not life-threatening. You can ask a doctor, they'll tell you it's not life-threatening. It may, if not treated and got to the hospital quick enough, you may lose the finger, so it's a comma saver. So we have to get them to, to the hospital as fast as possible, but you can't ask the Jew to be Michal Shabbos. If you don't treat it fast enough as well, it could develop infection because you've got an open wound there. So fine, but it's not, you're not an immediate sakona. So you'll get a call on that solar saying, severed finger. So you'll rush around there because you don't actually know what that means. A severed finger could be a lot worse than a severed finger. And you, I, I can honestly say to you that some of the things people say on the phone are a little bit either overblown or very much understated. You can get, to, you know, oh, just a little bit of bleeding under an artery cup. You can, you can, and you're laughing, but it, these are real scenarios. Or you get something, oh, it's nothing serious, nothing serious, and the guy's in, in, in cardiac arrest. Um, you really, you get, these are regular, so you've got to assume when you get out of that it's really serious. But if they get there and they find just a severed finger, then they will treat it, but they will not be allowed to drive the, 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 hospital, the, the, the ambulance man to the hospital, because it's not sakonas konaguf. And to drive an ambulance is a malacha director. So, yes, we have a non-Jew who drives, and if he's available, he'll drive. Otherwise, we'll call a taxi, and we'll go with him in the taxi to the hospital. And you've got time, because they'll, they'll look after the limb and they'll look after the, the person. You get to the hospital, you've got a good few hours to spare in, in, in a severed limb to get to the hospital, but you'll get there, and they'll treat it straight away, and they'll be fine. Don't look at me too scared. It does happen, and they do manage fine to look after it. So I'm just giving an example where you might think something is really life-threatening. It's not really life-threatening. On the other hand, you might think something is not life-threatening, and it really is life-threatening. So you can't judge. You, you yourself mustn't make decisions like that. You've really got to, um, you've really got to ask the, the people who know. Giving injections on Shabbos, and we'll finish with that because it's running late. Giving injections on Shabbos, and this is something which is quite important. So giving injections on Shabbos, most often uh, an injection, not, uh, not most often, often, an injection is sarcomatous. If somebody is diabetic or etc., then the injection is important and you have to give injection on Shabbos. But sometimes we, we need to give injections when it's just a chayli kolagov. So, for instance, if somebody's got a, a bad flu and it's not life-threatening, but a really, really bad, so you want to give them uh, some intravenous uh, antibiotics or an intravenous uh, painkiller, etc. Are you allowed to give an intravenous on Shabbos? Now, the problem with intravenous is it's very interesting. And actually today, it's, not, it's a little bit different to what it was a few years ago. Most times you, you give an inter intravenous injection, whether it's muscular or, or in the, into the, uh, under the skin, most times you tr you, what you would probably do is you'd draw blood in order to be able to get the needle in. And that's how they used to do in the old days. You used to draw out blood and then put the needle in. That creates a problem for us, because drawing blood on Shabbos is a malacha de reisa. It's called the malacha of mafarit. Drawing blood is a malacha de reisa. Now, 
if I have no intention to use that blood, I'm just drawing blood for an external reason, then that's called the Malacha, Shein Tzicha Lugufa, which downgrades it from a Dereisa to a Drabonon. But here we have a problem. I don't want the blood when I give the injection, because I don't want the blood. But I do want the blood to be able to allow me to put the needle in. How do you define that? Is that called wanting the blood? Is that called not wanting the blood? Is that a malacha deraiser? Is that a malacha grabona? And that's a huge discussion of Austin. However, modern day injections, I don't know why, I don't know what's changed, do not always draw blood. Very, very often they do not draw blood. In today's world, when you give injections, especially the injections that you give at home, with the packs already prepared and everything's done, they do not always draw blood. And if therefore, if it doesn't, it's a soffit secretion, which downgrades it automatically, it downgrades it to not so terrible, and therefore we allow people to give injections and shabbos if necessary. If we can avoid it by asking a non-Jew to do it, the non-Jew should give injections. But if the non-Jew can't do it, then you can give an injection on shabbos. Now, you can't give an injection kill Yav. Don't try. Please don't try. It's just terribly dangerous. If you give an injection, you've got to give an injection normal way. So then, if you're in a situation where you have to give a chayli kalagov, not a chayli masukin, an injection, you have to rely on the chay adam who allows you to do a drabonon, because this is probably no more than a drabonon, allows you to do a drabonon without a shinu and give the injection normally. A doctor in the hospital will have problems. These are problems that the doctor faces all the time. We haven't discussed treating non-Jews and Shabbos, but a doctor in the hospital has to treat a non-Jew, and there is a, a, a booklet from Dianentro where he's gone through all the different all the different um, scenarios. more than scenarios, all the different uh, types of treatments that a, a doctor would might have to come across in the hospital. And if he's a Jew, what's he going to do? How he can do them in a way which is a shinui, but without any way interfering with without any way interfering with the actual administration of the medicine. Because if you go and get a doctor to, to do a shinui in the hospital, he's doing it all wrong his life's not worth living. I mean, he's not going to be a doctor for very long. So he's got to be able to do it right. But there are ways of doing simple medical procedures with a shinu, which doesn't in any way affect the actual, the actual uh, administration of the, administering the, uh, the medication. So if you're a doctor, it's a different world. Ideally, if somebody can avoid training on Shabbos, fantastic. Uh, it can be done. There are doctors who train who don't ever go into work on Shabbos. But if you can't, then there are, there are methods of how to get around it. And um, Diane has got a whole booklet, and, and there's many other people who've gone through it, uh, every, all the different uh, situations in the hospital to work it through. But if you're a trained doctor, then you can usually get your, your, your rotors arranged so you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to work on shelters. But it's the first two years of training when life becomes a bit difficult, because then they don't, they don't, they're not really interested in you. You listen to us or else. So then life gets a bit more difficult. But the truth is, there are ways around that as well if you're prepared to make, to make the effort. Shinoi is something which is a very, very big part of treating ill people, but we're talking about people who are not seriously ill. The moment we discuss seriously ill people, and all this changes. And so in the next year, we'll go through the halakhas of a seriously ill person, and then we'll try and run through, if we can, as many scenarios of a seriously ill, what's called ill, slightly ill, properly ill, and seriously ill. And then we could be in the same, as we said to you, kidney stone. Kidney stones, if somebody called that solid for kidney stone, they wouldn't know what it is, right? I mean, they'd probably take a good guess as a kidney stone, and they would consider it internal pain. Internal pain, you rush them to hospital straight away. So you're blue light, I mean, possible. But you do get common, common calls from people who know they're suffering from kidney stones, and they've been, been in this situation 50 times in the last six months, and uh, they're waiting to have laser treatment to break down the stone, etc., etc. For them, it's not a chayim it's very painful, but they're in no danger of that. They're going to go to hospital. All they're going to do is give them a painkiller, wait till they've calmed down, and send them home again. That's all that's going to happen. So then they're not in a situation of chayim masukin. They are only a chayim konhagov. So yes, you can do a drabonon, but we wouldn't allow the hatsola members to drive in. It's very, very hard. So being hatsola member is really difficult. So you've got to be able to differentiate between what's that, and it's a very fine line. Because as we will, as we'll explain to you, as we go through the different scenarios of illnesses, you can have the same illness being a chayim konhagov. And the same illness. You can have somebody who's severely in pain. That could cause septic shock. The pain can cause uh, shock to the system. So not knowing the patient, sometimes it's hard to, to judge. If it's a sucker, we always treat it as a masukum. But illness is not a black and white a black and white science at all. It's a very much a grey area. Everything is a grey area. Certain areas are clear, certain areas are clear that way, certain areas are clear that way. There's a very big grey area in the middle, and that's what we're going to discuss in the coming shape, Be'ezus Hashem. Just to finish off with a very, very brief 
about Torah. This week is Pashat Tzavah. Pashat Tzavah starts off with the Shemen Zayis Zoch Lamor, to make pure oil for the Menorah. And the way they used to make pure oil for the Menorah is they weren't allowed to crush it. Rashi tells us they weren't allowed to crush it. They would just squeeze it, the first squeeze, and they would get the purest oil that it could be. And that's the oil that was used for the Menorah. The oil that was used for the Menorahs to bring the Kabonis, the meal offerings, that was already allowed to be crushed. Now, uh, my Rosh Hashiva used to quote in the Seover in the name of the Sofnas Paneach, that's a Marimach, that's a, uh, an, uh, the earliest Sofnas Paneach, that even the oil that was used for the meal offerings was also pure. But it was purified in a different way. They would crush it and uh, grind it and get out all the oil and then they would sieve it. And once it was sieved, then the oil coming out would be beautiful. So if I put the two oils together, the oil that was used for the manure and the oil that was used for the meal offerings, they would probably look identical. That was his suggestion. They looked identical. He didn't put cloudy oil in a meal offering. You only put pure, beautiful oil in a meal offering. So what's the difference between the two? The difference is only in the process, how you got there. And the reason for that is that the oil of the menorah represents the light of Torah. The ability to take your own Torah and expand it beyond. That's what light does. Light. The light is in a place, but the, the light spreads. It spreads beyond all the way out. In order for Torah to be learned and able to actually have the effect on the world that Torah has, has, then the process of Torah is as important as the outcome. The process has to be a pure process. The moment the process is impure, it may be the outcome might be a learning of Torah, but it's not going to have that effect of able to spread through to the rest of the world. When it comes to the carbonis, no, the carbonis is just to bring a carbon for myself, then the process is different. As long as I have pure carbon at the end, how I got there is irrelevant particularly when the carbon is there in order to forgive person for sin. On the contrary, the process is a process which sometimes is mixed with elements of negativity. But as long as I bring a carbon and that carbon is in its perfect form, then my sin gets forgiven. But when it comes to Torah, for Torah to be able to spread and have the effect and the influence on everything, everybody else and everything else in the world, that Torah has got to be pure. So therefore the Torah tells us, Shemen Zai Zok, the oil of the Torah has to be pure. Because Avoid is Hashem in its purest form is Shemin Zayat Our learning of Torah should be pure. We should be able to affect the world just by being good from Jews. There should be no sickness in the world because when we're good from Jews, there's no sickness. And there should be no, no level of any, any level of sickness. And we shouldn't need to be Mechal Shabbos ever, ever Chasm Shalom for somebody who's unwell. And in the source of keeping Shabbos, we'll be there to see the Ola, the Korov, Amen.